2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7. For God, who said, let there be light in darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Now you guys seen this on Facebook, right? Um, during 2020, I saw this everywhere. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was a murderer and adulterer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt and lost his family. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer. Timothy had the ulcer, and Lazarus was dead. But God still used them all. And so I want to talk about some people God used this morning First, let's look at Jesus used unlearned men and women. Acts 4.13 says, And the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. Some people say unlearned men. Some people go deeper and say illiterate men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, women and men who have been with Jesus have a quiet confidence, outward humility, and a righteous boldness. We bear fruit, and we don't get crushed by crisis because we got hoping skills. And we know in the end, God wins. In the end, there's a mansion waiting for us, a crown waiting for us, and we live like that. Can I hear an amen? So listen, Peter and John were unlearned. They didn't go to rabbinical school, but they were with Jesus. You know, after Jesus was resurrected, he said he like blew on them the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came inside of them. The Holy Spirit was upon them and inside of them. And this gave these unlearned people supernatural power. You guys saw the movie Forrest Gump, what happens when somebody's faithful and does the right thing continuously? And so I just want to encourage you that you might say like, oh, I'm a high school dropout. Oh, I'm a college dropout. Oh, I'm not too smart. I'm not too clever. I can't do this. I can't sing. Listen, be with Jesus. Be a woman or a man who reads the daily bread every day and asks God for strength. Be a person that loves to sit and soak and listen to worship music. Be a person that outwardly confesses, praise God. God is good. Thank God. Trust the Lord. It's just in, in, in their day-to-day -day speech uh, that, you know, it'll be... Uh, it, you'll be spirit-filled and spirit-spilled. When me and Anna was dating, 
I found a skillful way to talk about her every day to different people because I loved her so much. I still do. And so when you love God, people will know. People will see the difference that makes a difference. And Peter and John, they wind up partnering. John, people, people think John got a supernatural boost in his IQ because his writing in the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation is poetic. It's beautiful. It's beautifully designed. It's, it's, it's amazing, his writing. And this, this dude didn't even go to school. He didn't go to college. He was in a bad school district. But the Holy Spirit zapped his brain with power. And the Holy Spirit could do the same thing for you. You know, people say, oh, Pastor Ed, you know, you're smart. I was a babalang before Jesus. Babalang. Knucklehead. Never listened to nothing my titi said. <laughs> but God got a hold of this little brain. <laughs> And by the power of the Holy Spirit gave me a desire to read and learn. And so this morning, I want to let you know that if you're saying, man, I'm not this, I'm not that. As long as you sit with Jesus, as long as you give Jesus your life, you trust Jesus and you take part and you let the Holy Spirit do the work, you'll be shocked at what God could do with you. Can I hear an amen? Now, Jesus also uses rich and successful women and men, right? So you're like, oh, Pastor Ed, like that, that first part was cool, but I did go to college. I went to Brooklyn College. I went to LIU, to Baruch. I went to North Carolina State. I went to Miami, the U, right? And you say, like, I'm smart. I love reading Atlantic. I love reading New York Times. God could use you and wants to use you. Hebrews 11, 23 to 27, right? It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw God had given them, a, given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He gave up social capital, big-time social capital. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. This is a whole sermon right here. The Holy Spirit's telling me, not, don't, don't do it, Ed. Stick to the sermon that I gave you this morning. Because I'm, I'm tempted to preach verse by verse. Verse 26. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasure of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. Ooh. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept on right on going. Right, he kept right on going because he was kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Oh, some of you, you went from stress to survival to success, and now God is bringing you to a place of significance, like Moses. Oh, there's some of you. That God is going to use your PhD, he's going to use your master's degree, he's going to use your 10,000 friends on Facebook for his honor and his glory. I pray that this Moses anointing falls on you. Acts 7, 22 to 25. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Oh my goodness. The Egyptians were head and shoulders ahead of everybody academically. Moses was taught all the wisdoms of the Egyptian, and it was powerful both in speech and action. 
One day, Moses was 40 years old. He decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw the Egyptians mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged them, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. So Moses was a powerful person. Paul, the apostle Paul, powerful people. Uh, many people in the early church, there was many wealthy women, powerful women with social capital that was part of the ecclesia. And don't forget, Nick and Joe saved Easter. If you read John chapter 19, verse 38 to 42, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus used their social capital, used their, let's read it. Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. He risked everything. When Pilate gave permission, let me tell you, sometimes you, you got to do bold things, but you don't know the Holy Spirit's been dealing with the other person already. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, part of the priestly class, ready to give it up. The man who had come to Jesus at night, John chapter 3, read that. He brought around 75 pounds of perfume ointment made from myrrh and aloes. They gave Jesus a bet. This was like, I don't know, $50,000 worth of stuff. Following Jesus' burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in a long sheet of linen cloth. Not the cheapy, choppy stuff. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden, prime spot. But there was a new tomb, never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Right? And so... God uses successful people willing to sacrifice for the kingdom. Jesus loves the kids, right? Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 6, if you want to screenshot this. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins. He's talking to the disciples. We still got to repent, fam. We still got to repent. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, trusting, childlike, not childish, become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it'll be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned to the depth of sea. That's why we got to be careful with our spiritual influence. During Jesus' ministry, he raised three people from the dead. One was Lazarus, who Jesus loved. Another one was a young man from the town of Nain. Jesus got caught in the funeral procession, was moved by the mother's grieving, so he raised her son. A third case, a synagogue leader named Jairus came to Jesus because his daughter was sick and near death, and Jesus, uh, he begged Jesus to come and do something, but by the time the Lord got there, the child had died, right? And now understand this, on the way, the woman with the issue of blood got the miracle. God could do multiple things at the same time. As you see God healing Zadia, he could also provide you for that job. Acts 
8, 51 through 55. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with them except Peter, John, and James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with the people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up that Jesus told them to give her something to eat. That's a whole sermon, right? About like unsaved people getting saved and the church feeding the people with discipleship. So Jesus loved children. Jesus loved women. Acts 23, 55. And the woman also, which came from Galilee, followed and beheld the tomb and how his body was laid. The woman came to the tomb first. Acts 1, 14. Then they all continue a one accorded prayer and supplication. And the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. The woman was there. The Lord honored woman, right? God elected that his only begotten son would come through a woman. The life of God, brothers and sisters, was first placed in the womb of a woman before it got to you and me. Before the life of God was put in any other human being, before the life of God came into any man, it was first placed inside of a woman. Bless God. And God was not ashamed. God uses women of God. God loves women of God. And as Jesus ministered, he ripped out all social conventions that were placed against women. On one occasion, he rose to the defense of a woman caught in adultery. And he became her attorney. And he saved her life. And God was not ashamed. Jesus Christ had a custom of using women in his parables and making them heroes. This was before the Bechdel test, right? Now, there's a, a test called the Bechdel test to see how women are featured in movies and in books. I wish I had the time to explain he talked about the woman who searched and found her lost coin. He spoke about the woman who was unrelentless with the unjust judge and honored her for her persistence. He spoke of the widow who dropped a small amount of a smallest amount of money that she had in the temple treasury and praised her for doing so. He was not ashamed. Our Lord allowed an unclean woman to touch the hem of his garment and was not ashamed. In fact, he praised her for it. He gave the Canaanite woman, who was viewed as a dog in the eyes of Israel, one of the highest compliments he ever gave anyone. He also healed her daughter, and he was not ashamed. Praise God. The first gospel preachers, you can say, were women. John 4, 28-30. The woman left her water jar beside the well, the Samaritan woman. Right? So we're talking about women, we're talking about Samaritan women, and we're talking about a divorced woman living with a man. This was no-no at that time. I wish I could tell you how the old Jewish men prayed, but that's another time. She ran back into the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Ooh, is she possibly the first evangelist? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The first resurrection message was preached by Mary Magdalene. John 20, 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Hallelujah. All right. I'm done. God uses struggle bus. 
like me, right? I was the B63 of my church, struggle bus. And he uses successful people, successful people like Carlina, like Margaret, like Malik, like Avis, like Natalie, hallelujah. Like Sister Anna will have masters. Successful people who will lay down their gifts and know that all good things come from God. And they, they, they say, I went to success, now I'm ready for spiritual significance. God uses unlearned people. God uses successful people looking for significance. God, Jesus loves the kids. Little children listening right now. Jesus is the answer and education is the key. And community matters. Jesus loved the kids and Jesus honored women. Brothers and sisters. There's no excuse. God is ready to take your life to another realm if you're willing to sacrifice, if you're willing to lay down and offer your life as a living sacrifice daily. Father God, we come before you. We thank you that we get to be part of your body. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, that we get to do the will of our Savior. We thank you that you have called us to be part of the Ecclesia. We thank you that we get to adorn and beautify the bride. We thank you that we get to build the Father a house that should be called a house of prayer. We thank you that we get to partner daily with the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word that will guide us in all truth. We thank you for the brothers and sisters. For the, we thank you for the financial partners. We thank you for the prayer partners. We thank you for the pillars who've been with us 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 5 years, and 3 weeks. We thank you, Lord. And we bend the knee to you and we repent and we reflect and we renew our commitment to live holy, to live consecrated, to live sanctified. And to live with the eternal purpose and the great commission in mind. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. So what did you learn today in today's 